now I think about good hair and I'm just like, the bigger, the better, you know, like how, how high can we get to God (laughs) with my hair, you know, (laughs) or can it touch my knees? Hi everyone. We're here with our third episode of the Allure podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, editor in chief of Allure. Every episode, I'll be joined by someone who's inspired me to discuss everything beauty and beyond, from representation and diversity in the media, to the importance of self-acceptance and self-care, to the latest in beauty innovations and obsessions. Stick around to hear from our amazing guest, Bozma St. John. This episode of the Allure Podcast is made possible by Ulta Beauty. We've partnered with Ulta Beauty in our new series, See Yourself, See Each Other. No matter where you come from, who you love, or how you look, one thing is certain. Everyone deserves to be seen, heard, and respected. Together, we can create an inclusive space where we're free to share our truest selves and learn from one another without judgment. Learn more at allura.com forward slash see yourself, see each other. Born in America and raised in Ghana, Bozma St. John has helped lead the charge at some of the world's biggest companies like Pepsi, Beats, Apple, Uber, and now is the chief marketing officer at Endeavor, a global media agency. Remember Beyonce's iconic Pepsi commercial in 2013 when she recreated some of her most popular music videos? Bozma was responsible for that. She's worked with some of the biggest names in pop culture like Queen Bee and also Taraji P. Henson, Kerry Washington, and Mary J. Blige, to name a few. She's become one of the most influential marketers of our generation. And in the process, she's broken down numerous barriers, becoming one of the few Black women to make it to the C-suite in Silicon Valley, promoting self-acceptance and self-worth, and showing us what it means to be both powerful and vulnerable in her career. She's one of the most inspiring speakers I've ever seen, whether at an event or recording a podcast on the sofa in my office. We got to talk about her life, her groundbreaking career, how to navigate major hardships, and a lot about her amazing hair. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. I'm so glad that we've been able to do this. I think I mentioned to you on social media. So I've seen Bose now speak twice. So once when you came here to our company and then the second time at Brand Week. And you were amazing, like mind-blowing both times to the point of where when we knew that we were launching this podcast, you were definitely like right up there as like dream guest because I knew you'd be phenomenal. That's so awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Because I feel like this is a dream. I'm like, oh, hello. I'm with the top-notch beauty people. So excited. (laughs) Amazing. So I I feel like we have so much to talk about from your life, your career, and definitely lots of beauty stuff. But I definitely love to start from the beginning Mm. and just talk about your childhood, where you came from. I was born actually here in the U.S. Oh, you were? Yes, I was born in Connecticut, Middletown, Connecticut. Really? I I grew up in Connecticut also. In Monroe, Connecticut. Get out of here. Yeah. Look at that. The things you find out. So wait, so you were born here. Yes, but I was only there there for for six months. I Uh, mean, uh, I really did not grow up there. My dad was finishing up his PhDs, and so when he was done, he moved my mom and myself back to Ghana. And I was there for about five years before there was a military coup d'etat. My dad was a member of parliament by that point, and, you know, the government was overthrown. So we had to leave the country. My dad was in political detention, but my mom, brave, courageous, amazing woman that she is, escaped the country with me, my two younger sisters, and she was pregnant with my third sister. Oh my God. And do you yeah. have do you have vivid memories oh, of that time? Oh, vivid memories. Yeah. Very vivid memories. You know what's interesting talking about like beauty is that a lot of the things I remember from that time revolve like what I was wearing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so funny. I was talking to my sister actually about this the other day cuz I'm working on a project right now in which I'm trying to piece together that moment in time because obviously it was traumatic, but it defined my family you know, in some regard, that that moment without it would have changed the course of our lives. How do you feel like what you were wearing factored into it? Like, what were you wearing? Oh, man. Okay. So actually, this is this is really crazy because I just talked to my mother about this maybe two months ago. And I was five. I'll be 42 next week. I was wearing a velour maroon like dress that had a stiff collar. You know, it was really tight around my neck. I remember that. The little white lace fold-down socks and these black pant leather shoes. And my hair was braided and it had bows in it. I felt really good. I felt really, really cute. (laughs) Fly, in fact. And I asked her the other day because 
I don't know what inspired me to think about it, but I was like, wow, you know, in that moment of time where there's so much violence and crazy and you're trying to escape and you're trying to figure out ways to get out alive with your small children, why did she dress us that way? You know, in, in flight. And for her, she said, well, you know, we were going to go to the U.S. We we're going to apply and surrender for asylum. And I wanted you to show up and I wanted us to show up like the important people we are. That's we're not amazing. beggars. You know, but to think that she was thinking of that in a moment where it's like, okay, think about the possessions you can actually carry. Like, what are you taking? And then to think about what your children are wearing and what you're wearing. Yeah, My God. That's incredible. Do you yeah. feel like looking back on that time now that maybe even without knowing it, that that had like an impact on your life? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I dress for battle <laughs> all the time. Well, I feel like in the now three times that I've seen you, you have always been dressed phenomenally well. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, so it's working. So when you think about your childhood, either from that moment or beyond, like mm. what was your childhood like? Oh, man. Well, my childhood involved a lot of moving around because given that moment in time where, you know, we were uprooted from life in such a dramatic way, my parents were always trying to find home again. So the U.S., we came home for a couple of years, but my father was really drawn, of course, to the continent of Africa and sub-Saharan Africa to be specific. He decided that we should then move to Kenya when I was about seven and then moved to Ghana when I was nine, and then left Ghana again when I was 12, because the country just wasn't what my father remembered and, and couldn't find you know, his place again. Do you remember as a kid feeling like that was hard for you to adjust? Or was it sort of like, because you had moved around so much, it was yeah. just sort of easy? No, I don't. it was never easy, you know, because you hate being the new kid. You, know, you you hate having to tell people how to pronounce your name again and again and again. It's like, no, it's the second O is silent. Uh, you call me Bose. It's fine. You know, it's like, and then the kids who want to make fun of your name, you know, you have to get through all of that again. Reestablish your worthiness yeah. <laughs> all over again. <laughs> Find your best friends again. You know, all of those things. And so for me, those experiences were really tough, but I'm grateful for them now. Because clearly, even in my work now, is I walk into rooms and I feel totally okay with reintroducing myself. Yeah, it's so funny. You know Jay-Z's song? Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Bose. <laughs> Be to the OZ. Yeah, that's totally my jam. Because I feel like I did that so much as a kid. And now I walk into rooms and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I'm going to reintroduce myself. You're going to know me yeah. and you're going to love me. Well, I feel like the words that I always hear about you are always fearless, mm. bold. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely plays into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely feel like my childhood helped me to get into rooms and feel okay with myself enough so that I could reach out to other people and mm. not be a wallflower. So I know you were talking about your outfit back in the day. Yes. When you think back about your childhood, besides that moment, what were some of your early memories of beauty and just appearance in general? Man, so many things. I remember the first time I did my hair myself. We were getting ready for a family photo, you know, like a professional photo. And my mom had done my hair and some braids again. And I was probably 11. And I hated it. I was like... I just want to wear it out. You know, I just wanted to be like in its big fro. And I think by that point, she was so tired. She had four girls. She was like, you know what? Fine. Do whatever the hell you want to do with your hair, you know? <laughs> and it was the first time like I styled it myself. And I just, I felt the bomb, you know? I was like, look, I'm just, I'm the cutest. I'm, in fact, all of you get out of my photo, you know? like. <laughs> but there have been so many different times in life where, you know, I feel like my style, even as a kid, helped define who I am. You know, going to the mall in Colorado Springs, Colorado, when airbrushing was a thing, you could go to the kiosk in the middle of the mall and get whatever you wanted airbrushed on your jeans or on your jacket. And I was so excited because remember, like you could find names like Sarah yep. or like Kim. Melissa. Ugh, you could never find Bose yeah. ever. Ooh, girl, I remember like I had a pair of jeans that were bleached. You know, and then on the front, it said front, obviously, <laughs> because I'm cute. <laughs> and then on the on the other back, like it said back. And then down both sides, it said bows. Oh, girl, 
I was I was so fly. Where do you think your style came from? Like, was it just like were yeah. you getting things from pop culture? Was mm. it from your friends? Like, what was influencing your style at that? Yeah, point? my my mom first and foremost. She's a seamstress and a fashion designer. She was also a model in the seventies and has always sewn and designed in our house. And so some of my earliest memories are the sound of like a sewing machine, you know? So for me, I, I picked up style cues from her for sure. I loved her closet, still love her closet. But pop culture has absolutely played a huge part, especially when we moved to the U.S. when I was 12, because at that time, you're just trying to find the things that make you sort of similar. I was definitely not similar to anyone in Colorado Springs at 12 years old. So did you at that point, though, even though knowing you weren't similar, were you trying to still be similar? Yeah, I was trying to find the things that were cool, that mm-hmm. other people could see and talk about in a good way. I'm trying to think of like when I was 12, like what was the thing? Like Ugh. what were we watching Paula on TV? Abdul. And like, yeah. Yeah. So MC Scat Cat, <laughs> <laughs> Millie Vanilli. I had the slouch socks. You know, definitely some neon mini skirts oh, going the lots on. Of, like, lots and lots of bracelets. Lots of bracelets. I had the fan hair. Gosh, so many. I mean, I think the style was just so bold and bright and yeah, colorful. Super colorful. Very much my style. I don't think I ever lost it. Any you you would like the mid nineties when it became like grunge. Yes. I was not down with that. <laughs> like I was not here for any of that. <laughs> yeah, like bring like, back the eighties. Yes, I was like. What I need is some neon. That's what I really <laughs> need right now. But yeah, no, I, I was heavily influenced by everything pop culture. Madonna, you know, Janet Jackson, like all of those women who were so bold in their looks. Mm-hmm. I was really excited about being able to go to school <laughs> and use that as my own runway. And then I think in just in even like beauty, like with mascara and foundation and lipsticks and things, when I was finally allowed to use that or nail polish, you know, that became another creative outlet for me. And the difficulty was that in Colorado Springs, oh man, you just, you couldn't go to the counter and, and buy anything that would be appropriate on my skin. Uh, yeah. You know, so like even eyeshadow that was just not, it didn't show up. Yeah. So <laughs> what did you do though? I had to make it up. You know, that was did the just, beginning like, of mixing, my, mixing yeah, colors? I started mixing colors, finding things that would work for me in different ways. You know, I feel like, hell, I feel like I created the lipstick on your eyes type <laughs> trend. You know what I mean? Because I was like, well, these, this bold color here, <laughs> this is thick enough to show up on my eyes. You know, and yeah. yes, I would do all kinds of things. I would mix all kinds of different concoctions. Yeah. And, and it's so different it. now, too, because it's like with the Internet. Oh. Like now I feel like everyone, you can first of all buy whatever you want yes, to from around find the world, it. but then yeah. also everyone has so many ideas that they're sharing and stuff, yes. but back then it's like, what did we you do? Could, you couldn't. So you were experimenting. I can't tell you how many hours I spent in my bathroom, you know, like just experimenting with different shades and cosmetics and things that, you know, I just wanted, I wanted to be cute too. So you talked about your parents before. So having yeah. been born into a family with a reverend and a doctor for a dad mm-hmm. and clarinet player. You've talked about how he's your biggest inspiration or mm-hmm. one of your biggest inspirations. Mm-hmm. What do you think that your father taught you best? Oh, he loves to say necessity is the mother of invention. And I believe it. His story is remarkable. Like I, eventually, like one day I want to write a whole book on it just because he was you know, orphaned by the time he was 14. His mother had died when he was two. He didn't go to high school. He got odd jobs to help support himself. He grew up in a very remote part of Ghana. So the the statistic for his success is, I think I don't think it even exists. It's literally an impossible story. And through necessity, you know, just needing to take care of himself or creating his own narrative, he survived. Not just survived, he thrived, thrived yeah. in ways that are also impossible. You know, at the end, getting a full bright scholarship to come to the U.S. without a high school diploma. Like, literally, sixth grade was the last grade he completed. That's amazing. And then to get two PhDs after that, self-taught musician, like the whole thing. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And so I, I know that regardless of the pains <laughs> or the challenges of my own career or in my own life, I just need to look to him for inspiration to keep moving. Having grown up partly in Ghana, are there traditions that you still keep from there? Mm, yeah, very much so. I'm so connected mm-hmm. to the continent. You know, I, I think, still... Did I see that you were just there recently? Yes, yes, yeah. I was just there for the holidays. I took 100 people with what? me. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you know what happened? Let me tell you what happened. From really early memories, 
people would always, whenever I would say I'm going back to Ghana or, oh, we're going, you know, for Easter or we'll be going for the summertime, people would always act like it was going to Mars. You know, they'd be like, what? Oh, my God. And last year, I had a meeting with the president of Ghana and talked about what I could do personally, you know, as a daughter of the soil, as they say, to help improve essentially the health of the narrative of Ghana. And one of the biggest areas, I think, is just in having people experience the country. You know, that the flight is not as scary as you think it is. You know, you can <laughs> it's get not going it. to Mars. No, it is not going to Mars. <laughs> you can get a direct flight from New York City. <laughs> it is about eight hours and you'll land and you'll be just fine. How do you get a meeting with the president of Ghana? Oh, yeah. I know. I said that kind of casually. I know. <laughs> like, because, not a big you know, deal. Yeah. No, be, no big deal. It's fine. <laughs> so last November, I got an award from the Africa America Institute. And that same night, the president of Ghana was accepting the award on behalf of the people of Ghana. And I don't think he knew I was Ghanaian until I got on the stage and then started speaking in our native tongue and was clearly binging up Ghana a lot. Well, because the president was sitting right there. I felt like (laughs) I had to represent, you know, and so afterwards, his people called me (laughs) and said that whenever I was back, he would like to meet and talk about, you know, what I do and my contributions. And I was like, well, I will be there in a month. That's amazing. Yeah. And there you go. With 100 people. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Well, it, it blew up like it just, you know, the word got out. So who, who were the hundred, who were these hundred people? That oh you my brought? goodness. So many people. It was so many, there were so many people, a mix of Hollywood, like black Hollywood and, a, and business people. Yeah. So we had been talking about what we could do to essentially expand the narrative. As I said, you know, a lot of the times when you get of images of Africa, I feel like it's been a disservice, especially from a marketing standpoint, because I understand marketing and branding. And I think the brand of Africa has been so tarnished. When people think of Africa, they think of, you know, kids with distended bellies and flies around their eyes and aid and poverty. And there's so much beauty and richness of culture, you know, and so much history, you know, because I feel that for a lot of African descendants around the world, without the respect of Africa, they are not respected anywhere. And so... The only way to change that narrative is for people to actually come to the continent and see it for themselves. In your career, and not just where you are now at Endeavor, but like having worked at Uber and like Mm -hmm. so many other places, I feel like your life, you touch upon so many other different types of industries. So whether it's technology or Hollywood or other things, like we talk a lot here about representation and what that means in the world of beauty and other things. Like when you were growing up, Mm -hmm. did you feel, whether you were in Africa or when you came back to the United States or anything else, did you feel represented when you looked at media and entertainment Mm. and anything else? And when was that first time that you you felt that way? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I feel like I felt represented in music. I was always really connected to music with my father being a musician and music just sort of playing in the house constantly. I was always looking for those cues. And regardless of if it's acknowledged or not, a lot of beats are African. And so I could always feel connected you know, to music and see dance, you know, in the way that Janet Jackson moved or Paula Abdul moved was very African to me. And so I was, I always felt very connected that way. But when it came to fashion and cosmetic beauty, that's where it was lacking. I mean, I remember the first time Iman came out with her line and rushing to the mall to try and just see the various shades. That was miraculous to me. Yeah, it was groundbreaking. I mean, it was amazing. I I mean, I think I stood at the counter and cried, you know, and to think that, gosh, just over colors. Yeah, Yeah. because I hadn't seen that before. I couldn't, (laughs) you know, I couldn't. All my other friends could walk up to the counter and buy something. I couldn't. But I, I, I very vividly remember those moments of, you know, feeling like, oh, okay, there I am. You know, now, now I see, now I see me there. Obviously, now there's been a lot of talk about how like representation and diversity, inclusion, Mm -hmm. like everything has really improved. Do you think, this is such a weird question to ask, but are we there? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, good. We're totally not there. I I agree. (laughs) We're totally not there. I was just having a conversation with someone this morning and it's like, the weird thing is, I feel like in a lot of industries, I kind of think people think that we're there. Yeah, which is so strange. We're not there yet. Like, we're totally not there. We're totally not there. But I just, I feel like there's so much, obviously, so much richness in the different types of people and the ways that we all express ourselves in beauty. For Christmas, my daughter had 
you know, her list of things that she wanted, which included like, you know, a scooter. And but one of them was a makeup palette by James Charles. Oh, that was a hot gift this I Christmas. I mean, girl, <laughs> I, I had to search high and low for this thing. Yeah, it was you sold know? out really quickly. But I think that is fantastic. Like how amazing that a young man is the face of everything that you could do with contouring <laughs> and highlighting and the colors on your eyes. But Marseille, she is a Black actress. She's actually going to make history as the youngest producer ever. She's incredible. But anyway, she was doing, she did a, a video on using every color on the James Charles palette. And Lael was like obsessed with this video. <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm going to go try that right now. I was like, oh, Lord, have mercy. God bless my little face towels. You know, <laughs> even the idea about somebody else representing beauty other than what we have been used to seeing, I think is miraculous. So we're on our way. Yeah. We're, we're on our way. Yeah. Like, we're, we're making we're, great progress. We're on our way. We're not there. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I think the other interesting thing too is that I think that the rise of like social media stars and everything else yeah. too has made makeup this fun and creative thing mm. where like I was talking to my daughter Gabby that, you know, she had asked me, can I try foundation like, so she'll she'll do, like, an eyeshadow palette and stuff like yeah. that, which I'm totally fine with. And then she was like, can I try foundation? Because she sees all of them doing yes. it with, like, the beauty blender yes. and, like, beating yes. their face yes. and everything. Yes. And I was like, you <laughs> the, can try it, but I'm like, you don't need it. Yeah. And she's like, no, 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 I just want to try it. And yeah. I think that's the thing that I'm trying to, like, instill in her also is that you don't need makeup, right. but makeup is fun. Yes. And if you want to do it yes. and you want to be creative and, and do different things, that's totally fine. That's ab- see, but that's healthy. Yeah. That's a great healthy way to approach it. By the way, for everything, even for clothes, for everything, you know, part of what I said before about using clothes as armor is something that I even had to recognize, you know, that it started to become a crutch for me and recognizing that, ooh, this is this is this is not becoming healthy like i need to figure this out can you talk a little bit about that like how your look as a person in business but then also Mm -hmm. in a lot of businesses frankly where they don't dress like you walking into like silicon valley Mm -hmm. and it's very like white male Mm -hmm. right and like the way that you would dress like not toning that type of look down because you're sort of like this is me yeah oh man well there's been so many times where i have felt that I needed to ask for permission to be who I am in a room. It was prevalent when I was much younger, you know, in that almost feeling like you need to make apologies when something about you was not what other people would expect. Apologies for my hair, apologies for lipstick that was too bright, you know, especially if somebody commented, which happened all the time. I mean, black women say that all the time, right? It's like one of the most known things that like you just don't want to change your hair because first of all, you'll have to talk about it at the office. How many black women do? Almost everybody I know will be like, ooh, I don't want to, my hair is curly now. I can't go straight because I have to explain why that happened. Like how crazy is that? Over your hair? That's insane. And so I have, after finding some of my voice (laughs) and practicing screaming out loud in the way that I look, I found more confidence in that. You know, I found that I could then walk into a room and speak boldly because whatever I was wearing was definitely more bold than the words that were coming out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this can't be your defense mechanism. This is celebration. You know, this celebration of who I am, the celebration of a whole shit ton of women, excuse me, you know, who need allowances to be who they are. It was so prominent and obvious to me when I did the Apple keynote. You know, it's like for all of the historical reasons, you know, first black woman on that stage, the whole thing, I was presenting really amazing tech. But the thing that most people talked about was not the tech that I presented. The trending topics were my hair and my dress. The only reason I'm able to show up in the fullness of myself and to be as bold as I am and to be funny and irreverent and all of those things is because I'm actually able to look the way I want to look, the way I feel naturally comfortable. If I was up there in, no shade to Steve Jobs, in a black turtleneck and some jeans, <laughs> it would not have been the same presentation, I guarantee you. And so to me, I was like, yes, I am wearing my body-hugging pink dress made by Mimi Plange that was gorgeously tailored, in my Louboutins that were also pink with a fluff on the back. 
<laughs> my hair was in its, you know, wild curliness. Oh, come on. I looked bomb. <laughs> you know, it's like there was no way I wasn't giving a great presentation. <laughs> so I, I feel like even in that moment, though, in the celebration of, ooh, who is this woman with her hair and her dress and her attitude? I was like, yes, come on. Let's go. Let's see more of us out here like this. You know, let's let's all allow for this type of difference that, yes, we can be serious. Yes, we can be senior leaders. We can be any description and not have to wear the gray suit. Well, the gray suit or I feel like the the norm in Silicon Valley is that you're like in the hoodie. Oh, girl, and... <laughs> yes, too. That's why I would show up in some sequence sometimes just to throw people off. <laughs> I mean, you've worked at amazing companies. So Pepsi, Beats, Apple, Uber are just some of them. Yeah. Is there... When you think about yourself, do you feel like there's a core trait that you have that has made you successful at all of these big brands? Well, I love pop culture. I feel that has been my secret weapon at every company is following that, knowing the trends and feeling the wind shift before anyone else. And the secret in that is that my colleagues always then come to me first to ask what's coming or what's happening, or is that cool? Or should we do this? Or did it? I became sort of the sage at whatever company that I was in, which is its own secret weapon, you know, because then it, it's less about whether or not I have great ideas, which I do have great ideas. So let's just, you know, <laughs> let's just put that out there. But also the fact that if you become the trusted source for the people you work with, if they trust your opinion, they trust your taste, they trust you know, what you're going to say, it makes it so much easier when you're in that boardroom and you have something to say, people are going to pay attention. And so for me, it's always been about understanding what's happening in the world and consuming it. And that habit started when I was 12. It started when I came to the US and started consuming all of the movies and sports and, you know, music and fashion and everything else that I could get my hands on just to be able to communicate with my classmates that habit stayed and became my trick in my career. And so regardless of the company, because all of the brands require connection with pop culture in order to talk to consumers, especially as a marketer. I mean, it's like, it's, it's the basis of everything, right? And so without that, you will fail. So yeah, I became the go-to person who knows everything. How do you keep up on everything now? Are uh, you just like constantly, like if you're on a plane or you're just yeah. like watching every movie, listening to every oh, podcast? I'm, I'm eternally curious. I'm eternally curious about everything. I consume it in whatever way. Twitter, movies, I'm listening to podcasts. <laughs> I love all the playlists on streaming services. And I love my friends who are knowledgeable. You know, it's like I call them with questions. I'm on a group text with a few people that keep me informed about things that are going on, you know, articles about interesting things. I have a few good friends who do that all the time. You know, they read something and then they'll send it to you. Those are some valuable oh. friends. Yeah, but I'm eternally curious. I love people watching. It's like one of my favorite activities. <laughs> I want to listen to what people are talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm not being nosy. I just want to know, like, what's happening? What are you're, people talking you're learning about? about culture. Yeah, what are people interested in? <laughs> you know, you just never know. You're going to walk into the office and it's like, oh, I just learned something picking up coffee this morning. After the break, more with Bozma St. John. You all know I love Ulta Beauty. For one, I think we have a lot in common as brands since we both celebrate the beauty in every person and believe beauty is limitless. I live in the suburbs, so I love going to the stores out there, which are enormous. You can find almost anything in makeup, fragrance, hair care, and skincare. They have over 20,000 products. And have you been to the New York City store? Oh my God, it is amazing. It's just light and bright and has such a good, fun vibe because Ulta Beauty knows you aren't there to get beautiful. You're there because you already are. Visit Ulta.com to learn more and to find a store near you. Ulta Beauty, the possibilities are beautiful. Welcome back to the Allure Podcast. Now, more with Bozma St. John. So we've had a couple other people on the podcast who are either from Hollywood or from the modeling world. We have not had someone yet from the corporate world. Mm. So like, again, like, you know, we talk a lot about representation, but I'd love to hear just your thoughts about representation in the workforce yes. and in corporate America. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I could start with the studies, <laughs> which show that the folks who are making the decisions need to reflect the population right? It's good for business. It's actually a good business decision. But on top of that, the softer things. So if we are innovating a product, 
that is for consumer use, it is probably a good idea to understand the consumers we're talking to. Now, the biggest challenge is that if you are not of the culture and if you're not having the conversations that are natural without the research, and therefore you don't deeply understand the reasons why people do certain things, then you're going to make a mistake. You're not going to be able to talk to your consumers the way they need to be talked to. And so for me, first and foremost, it's a business necessity that our boardrooms and our senior leaders and, by the way, all the ranks are populated by diversity in the way that our population looks. That's from a business standpoint. For culturally, I think it's really important, especially having been in these rooms where oftentimes I'm the one or the only or few, is that to be able to have your voice heard without having to explain yourself makes life easier. <laughs> that might sound like such a duh statement to make, but imagine having to constantly explain your point of view, even when it comes to simple things, things that you think are just known fact, things that you take for granted, and having to constantly explain or watch the words that you say or use different words is exhausting. And so if we're going to keep our executive levels healthy with people who are reflective of our culture, we need to make sure that they're surrounded by people who speak like them too. So to me, all of our, you know, the reasons why we need people in, in those spaces are one, it just makes good business sense. And then two, we need to keep people in those roles. So it's not just about getting diverse candidates into the workforce, but keeping them there so they don't leave. Absolutely. So I know you faced a few really major challenges in your life. Being mm -hmm. a widow is one of them. Yeah. Um, can you talk about, do you have, like, what advice would you give to somebody who is going through similar struggles? Oh, man. Well, interestingly enough, just a couple of days ago, I was introduced by a mutual friend to a woman who just lost her husband five months ago. My husband died five years ago. And the biggest lesson that I've learned over the course of time, grief is not something to get over. I think we spend a lot of time and, and probably also advise our friends or people that we're with, like, don't worry, time heals all wounds. It's like, no, that's a load of crap. You know, it's like that. I don't even understand why people say that. <laughs> I'm like, no, it doesn't heal all wounds. The wounds are still there. You just need to figure out how to live with the wound. You know, it's like anything else. It's like you have a scar and you have to look at your face every day. Right. And it's still there. And it's still there. But you just find yourself more beautiful because of the scars. You know, I'm a much more appreciative version of myself because I've been through what I've been through. I empathize more. I love more deeply. The scars that I bear from my grief or actually made me a much better person. Now, would I wish to never have gone through that? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> for anyone, but it's not impossible to thrive after having gone through something so debilitating and traumatic. And I think it's helpful just even to hear people talking about. You know, the, the worst part about going through any type of trauma is that people stop talking about it because they think it's going to offend you. You know, and then you feel uncomfortable bringing it up because you're like, ah, people must be so sick and tired of me talking about this. I wish we as a society and as friends could be more empathetic that way. You know, allow for the conversations, even in the workplace, by the way, which was miraculous for me. Where were you working at the time? I was at Pepsi. Pepsi, okay. At the time. You know, a really unique set of colleagues who allowed space for me to talk about what I was going through at work. Yeah, that's like, great. Like, what a, you know, revolutionary idea. But not, because we're human beings. We're all going through something. So how helpful would it be if I knew what you were going through? Maybe I could help you in some way. And so I always encourage, I mean, I, I do it now. I encourage my teams. I encourage the people who work for me. Girl, I overshare. <laughs> <laughs> I just go ahead and tell you exactly what's going on. Girl, I got some gas today. How I just, hmm, you have any solutions? <laughs> You know, there's just so many things that we could help advise each other on only if we knew what yeah. was going on. Yeah. And I know you have a beautiful daughter. When you think about her growing up, how do you think the world has changed for her compared to when you were growing up? Or how do you hope the world will change? Yeah. 
Well, I just, I mean, I think the basic things, I hope it's a more tolerant and accepting place. You know, some of the things I see now and read now make me less certain of that in terms of race and uh, our cultures and being accepting. You know, it makes me more fearful because I thought we were further along than we are. But then again, I am sort of grateful for that, too, because I'm like, okay, well, then we don't have to pretend like we're further along. Right, it's all let's get, kind of, let's get it's to in the it. open, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, things like, you know, the events of Charlottesville really woke me up. I was like, those were 18-year-olds out there walking, you know, claiming. Just out in the open. Out in the yeah. open, you know, walking, demanding that black people don't matter. Like, that's, that, that was hard. I was like, wow, really? You're 18? This is not 1964. It's crazy. So I hope that as we all continue to do the fight and walk this walk and talk these talks as we're doing now, that hopefully we are continuing to expand and that those people are the exceptions. They continue to be the exceptions. They keep being pushed to the fringe and that in her lifetime, there will be even increased acceptance. You know, I feel like my mother's generation versus my own is such a vast difference in how we accept all kinds of differences and even family dynamics, you know, how families are set up. And so hopefully her generation will see continued acceptance of all kinds of different types of people. Because that's what I'm really concerned about. It's really more about people than anything else, you know, how we treat each other. Okay, so because it's the Allure podcast, yes. we get to talk about beauty. Yay! <laughs> so I, I definitely want to hear all about your routine. Oh, I love beauty. I love beauty so much. <laughs> you know, I just, well, first of all, I love my melanin. So I just, I just love it. I'm, I'm so thankful to be so black. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm so thankful. I wasn't always thankful. And so now that I'm in it, I'm just, I'm so glad. You know, what a special thing. And so I want to take care of it. And I think that's probably the basis of all of my beauty regimens and my routines that I want to take care of the skin that I'm in, you know, and I want to enhance it too. When you look at your morning routine and your nighttime routine, are these things that have been set for a long time or are you constantly yeah. kind of like tweaking? No, I'm a creature of habit for sure. I mean, there are go-tos that I've been using since I was probably 15. Okay. So walk me through, like okay. what, what are some of them? Let's see. Okay. So at nighttime, I always wash my face. Have to. Have to. Always wash. I, what do you, what do I you can't use? even sleep without washing my face. Say, oh my God, I feel disgusting. I feel gross. Yeah. Like I feel like that. Like I probably won't get a good night's sleep if yeah. my face is not washed oh, off. completely. Ugh, if I, sure. I think it reminds me also of being like young and maybe like hungover or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I went to sleep with yeah, my makeup on. Right. I'm like, ugh, gross. Now I use oil of Olay products. <laughs> oh, good for you. I love Olay. <laughs> yeah, I do. Like the face wash and... I think there's something nostalgic about the smell of their lotion. And so I, I love it. It makes me feel like it's nighttime when I wash my face off and I slather that joint on. And now I use either like an argon oil or like a coconut oil around my eyes because wrinkles. Hello. We got to keep those at bay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> keep that skin nice and moisturized. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's usually about my skin. Like I like, I like massaging into my face. You know, whether that's in the washing off of the makeup or the, you know, massaging in of the lotion. And yeah, and I look at myself and there's a lot of affirmation that I talk through. But that's like real. Does that happen during your morning and your nighttime? That yes. you're sort of like looking at yourself and doing yes. affirmations? Yes, affirmations. You know, I'm like looking at my face. I'm looking at my eyes. I'm my teeth. I really like my teeth also. But what kind of stuff are you <laughs> saying to yourself? Oh, man. It depends on the day, but it's usually how beautiful I am. <laughs> That's so good. I feel like people need to do yeah, more of that. Yeah, yeah, It's really a practice, you know? I think for me, it, it really started, actually back to the question about, you know, when were the earliest times when I saw myself in, in beauty? And I just wasn't seeing it. And, you know, you go out into the world and the world wants to make you feel like you're not beautiful. Especially for me, you know, being dark skinned black woman, like I just didn't see it anywhere. Nobody really was appreciating all this melanin here. And so reminding myself that I am beautiful and that, you know, my nose is great in its breath and my profile is bomb. <laughs> 
and that, you know, my eye shape is awesome and my lack of eyelashes are okay because I'm about to put on these falsies. I was going to say, fine. you don't look like you have a lack Girl, of eyelashes. I listen, these, I've been wearing lashes for a long time. <laughs> but, you know, like, I just, I really like the affirmations. And by the way, it's not even just, like I said, you know, hell, listen, I, ha- I don't have great eyelashes. That's right. My eyebrows are whack too. But, <laughs> you know, knowing that I accept all of that actually helps me. You know, even in my beauty routine. And, you know, I, I put on full face every day. So then I sit in my little chair and apply my foundation and, you know, my mascara and my eyeliner and my lipstick, which usually changes every day depending on the outfit. You know, all that, that whole routine in the morning of getting ready is so important to me. I hate being rushed through it. Yeah, I love it too. Like, I just love the process of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I know people who are like, oh my God, I can't even, but I love it. It like, it really does help me center you know and like i said i i do affirmations and so perhaps a little bit of like maybe meditation too i never thought of it that way but it's a little bit of meditation like just getting ready for the day thinking through things you know thinking about my day getting myself ready for whatever i'm going to face that day like i do all that during during the morning and then hair care what do you do Ooh, yes Ooh, i love some hair oh my god i love hair here's the thing about being a black woman is that we're so allowed to have so many hairstyles, but we rarely show it off, like in corporate settings. And so I've taken it on as like a personal mission to change my hair at least once a week. Really? Like, oh, yeah, girl. Ooh, I do all kinds of styles. Oh, <laughs> and I do it all. I do weaves. I do wigs. I do my natural afro. I do braids. Oh, my gosh. I do straight press outs. I do, I do it all. Are you really good at doing your own hair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like doing my own hair. But I work with a lot of people, too, who get me ready for different events and things. And so I collaborate with them. I love trying new products. So, yeah, I just I just love it. I love it. Do you find inspiration for your hair from, like, looking at other people? Too? Oh, yes, for sure. For sure. And especially now that there is a call to, like, natural textures, especially for Black women, I love it. I love stylists like Ursula Stevens and... Vernon Francois, you know, who Vernon is doing Lupita Nyong'o's hair, and she's always reflecting African hair, which we, is so great. We did great. a cover last year with the two of them, oh. and Vernon did Lupita's hair. It was stunning. Girl. Stunning. Okay, listen, I could slap him every time. I'm like, boy, <laughs> you better. Oh, my God. It's so great. So, yeah, I just, I'm really inspired by the looks I see in the world. Last year at the Golden Globes, I wore my hair in a huge afro and I thought I was like doing something really bold and amazing and I walked onto the carpet and Viola Davis had like the same exact hairstyle and I was like girl I see you there's like actually a picture of us like pointing at each other like mm-hmm, you know but like yeah I want to I want us to you know feel like that's actually not daring like that's you know a basic look like now let's go explore something else <laughs> do you have holy grail hair products that you use mm, shea butter Coconut shea butter. But those are, I feel like, home remedies, you know, from like Ghana. And I'm talking about like pure shea butter. The ones you can also find on the street in Harlem, too. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that we've talked a lot about here, too, and I think I might have talked to, the, to Lupita about this also, is mm-hmm. the term good hair, right? Which obviously has like yes. uh, some other connotations. Yes. When you think about that term good hair, wh- yeah. what do you think? Oh, man. Well, yeah, the connotations of history, you know, with European-centric straight hair, blonde, are what come to mind. And that's what is infiltrated in, especially in the Black community with Black women. But now I think about good hair and I'm just like, the bigger, the better. <laughs> you know, like how, how high can we get to God <laughs> with my hair? <laughs> you know, <laughs> or can it touch my knees? You know what I mean? <laughs> like the, the bigger, the bolder, the more colorful, the more extravagant. Have you ever had short hair? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I've had pixies. Yeah, Halle Berry. Come oh, on, yeah. during the Halle Berry. I had a pixie. It was Ooh. not good. Oh, was it? I was not, I was not Halle Berry, oh, unfortunately. Oh, man. Well, I mean, listen, I'm not Halle Berry either, but <laughs> I really loved her hair. Oh, yeah, I cut it oh, all it was off. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah, I cut it all off. I had like the really sharp lines, you know, the razor cut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the fade in the back. Oh, girl, yeah, I did it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, had, I've had all kind of hair. How do you think that your hair has impacted your experiences? I mean, you talked mm. a little bit about like, you know, walking into a professional setting. Like, how do you think that yeah. your hair has impacted yeah. your life? Oh, man, so many ways, because, you know, part of the experience of being a black woman is 
especially in the corporate environment, is not being able to have your hair in the ways that you want it, feeling like you're bound by it. Earlier in your career, because I feel like you're now at a different point Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would like criticize you or anything. Like, has anyone in your career ever said anything about your hair? Oh, yes. Oh, somebody said some of my hair like last year. Really? Oh, yeah. I get it all the time. And what do they say? All the time. They'll say things like, wow, your hair is really wild, you know, which has other connotations. Right. right? Like, okay, tone yourself down, girl, you know, which then I just have to go and bite people's heads off when they say things like that. But because I feel like that doesn't happen to other people. And I feel like that specifically happens to black women. And by the way, the conversations. Oh, you know what? There was this episode of Scandal. Shout out to Carrie Washington and Shonda Rhimes. Love them both. In which Carrie in her character was on vacation. And it was the first time her hair was curly on the show. And I was like, oh, see, now look at this. You know what I mean? Because the challenge is that those are the images that were fed. When you're serious, it has to be straight. When you're free and like, yeah, like not being serious, then it can be curly. I want to dispel all of those things. And so, again, for me, why I'm so adamant about expressing myself through my hair and being able to be in professional settings, whether again, it's on an Apple keynote stage with millions and millions of millions of people watching me or just on my Instagram and showing the different sides of myself, you know, but it has absolutely affected my career. And I think me as an individual, because it is something I do think about. It's a part of the narrative. When I walk into a room I often, especially in my younger years, at the start of my career, knowing that I would have to talk about it. You know, it's like, yeah, I had short hair yesterday and today I've come with braids down to my waist. And it's like, how did your hair grow so long? And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) seriously? You know, but then I have to spend the whole day explaining that to different people who would ask. What's your advice, I guess, for other people who are going through something like that? Because I feel like, again, like you're, you're now in a position of power yeah. where it's like, I think that if I were someone listening to this, I might be like, oh, well, of course she can say that to somebody. Mm. But like, would your advice for someone, let's say, who's just starting out or they're more junior, who's kind of going through the same thing, yeah. is it just kind of like facing it head on and being yes. like, here's the deal? Facing it head on. It's not as scary as you think. You know, it feels scary. And... <laughs> This is going to sound really harsh, but if somebody has prejudices about you, it's not going to change because of your hair. You know, so walking into a room with your hair straight isn't going to make somebody pay attention to you more or less than if you walk in with your afro. I'd rather look at myself in the mirror and feel beautiful walking out and then deal with what I have to deal with when I get to the office. But for me, it's, it's that, you know, even at any level, just showing up in the fullness of yourself is actually going to make you feel better. You're going to feel more comfortable. You're going to feel more empowered. And so we should practice that. And it's not always easy in the beginning, but it gets a hell of a lot easier as you do it. How do you talk about hair with your daughter? Oh, man. Well, I just want her to appreciate her hair. She's biracial. And so our hair texture is not the same. I think it's amazing that she looks at mine and is like, "Ooh, I want my hair like yours. I'm like, really, girl? Because this, this is not what society tells you. <laughs> <laughs> but I want her to love her hair. You know, she's at that moment now where I think similar to all little girls, she starts looking at her friends and wanting their hair. And so then we have to talk about that. You know, one of her best friends is blonde, with very straight, fine hair. And I was like, girl, your hair is never going to be like that. <laughs> I was like, just don't. I was like, no, we're never going to straighten it. You're not going to color it like that. Mm-mm, it's not happening for you. <laughs> You know, but just really encouraging her because, I mean, listen, at some other time in life when she's 24 years old and decides to go get her relaxer and dye her hair, she will do it. And I will have no control. (laughs) I'm dealing with that now. But (laughs) I want her to do it because it is an expression of her creativity and not because she's trying to be something that she's not. Right. She's not trying to fit into a standard. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, I'm like, as long as the expression is because you wanted to do it because it felt good versus hiding what you naturally are, I'm totally cool with it. And so I just want her to appreciate herself. I definitely want to talk about your nails. Ooh, nail game, yes. I I just want to describe (laughs) to everyone because they are stunning and everyone knows I'm a nail girl. So they're, how would you even describe that? Are they, they're sort of like... Like a navy royal blue? Yep. 
and yeah. long and fabulous yes, and glossy, yes. glossy, glossy. But yes. then I didn't even notice when you came in before, but then the undersides of them have amazing sparkly <laughs> rhinestones. Yes. What's what's your philosophy and what are your feelings about nails? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I also love my nails. <laughs> you know, when I was when I was younger, I bit my nails down to the stubs. I mean, they it like painful type biting. And part of it was a nervous habit and just, you know, just a habit. I read in a magazine that if you painted your nails red, that you would not bite your nails anymore. Oh, red specifically. That's yeah. interesting. And literally, since I was like 15 years old, I've always worn my nails long. I've always colored them in some capacity. In recent years, I have become more artistic with, you know, I'm just tired of like flat color now. So I started designing on them. Now I build up. It's like architecture. And just recently I decided, well, when over the holiday I had like stars and diamonds and pearls on them and they, I mean, they were big nails. And so for the new year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do a solid color. And I did the solid color and I was like, oh, not enough. I think we go on the other side and see what's going on underneath the nail. the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to just try something new. So here we are. <laughs> That's amazing. And then when you came in before, I know that you've been traveling a lot. Yeah. What what types of things do you do for self-care and relaxation? Like, are you a massage person? Do yeah. you meditate? What types of things yeah. do you do? Oh, I love a massage. I love a massage. It's just, it's so great. But I, I sleep. You know, I think people assume that because I travel so much, I don't sleep. But I really like to sleep. I, mean, I think it's restorative, obviously. It's like I drink a lot of water. I try to sleep as much as possible so that I can be the best version of myself. I think it helps from all of the basics, you know, your health, your skin, your joy. All of it comes because you're sleeping enough and you're drinking enough water, you know? Do you so, try and get eight hours? I do. That's yeah, amazing. That's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I And I force myself into bed. Yeah. Even if it's like I'm answering emails or checking social media in bed, I'm I'm getting inside of the bed to make sure that I'm person, sleeping. Can you sleep anywhere? Oh yeah, that's a gift. It's a <laughs> can gift. Can you sleep on planes? I can sleep on planes. I oh, can't. I will be that's knocked out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll be out like a light. I'll be out before the plane takes off. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So one final question, okay. which has nothing to do with beauty or hair or skincare or anything, but I mean, you have had such an amazing career. Mm. When you look ten years from now mm. down the line, where do you see yourself? That's such a hard question. I notoriously do not make plans. You know, I just I just don't because I feel like it stunts my ability to be open to new opportunities. And so I don't know if I have a specific answer about where I want to be. I hope that I am still really excited about what I'm doing, that I'm inspired by it, that I get new ideas that I can't wait to get down on paper to see in the world. I hope that that is still happening for me. It's been it's been going like this for 20 years and I I hope that it never stops. Amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. And I do just want to mention which I don't know how much you can talk about yet, but you're going to have your own TV series Ooh, yes, soon. Yes. Yes, on Stars. Okay, yes, amazing. I'm so excited. Is there is there a time frame that we can mention Ooh, or Not yet, not yet, but it is a docu-series and so it is a little bit of reality following my life, but more than that, following the things I'm interested in. So I spend an hour talking about different subjects and then go explore those things in the world, wherever they are and whatever the topic is. So exciting. All right, everyone. So keep an eye out for that. And thank you again so much. <laughs> thank you. This has been great. Bozma is someone who has really inspired me for several years now. I've definitely heard her voice echoing in my own head. She is that fearless and bold, just totally herself person who I hear her voice and it makes me feel energized and inspired. So I hope that you all hear that amazing Bozma voice in your own head. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. For more interesting conversations on all things beauty and beyond, subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast app or visit Allure.com forward slash the Allure podcast. The Allure Podcast, hosted by me, Michelle Lee, produced by Allure, is part of the Condé Nast Media Group. Hey.